Before we get back to today's show, here's a quick word from HubSpot. Finding a service solution that helps you better connect with customers and keep them happy can feel impossible. Like try to remember the name of that guy you just met at a networking event. Was it Ron? Could it be Don or John or Sean? Yeah, that kind of impossible. HubSpot's new service hub can help. Well, with the service solution part, at least. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform for the first time ever. With an AI-powered help desk and an AI chatbot that handles frontline tickets fast. Plus, it comes with a customer success workspace that helps reps anticipate customer needs. And a full 360 view of every customer. So your go-to-market team can keep up on the pulse of accounts before trying to upsell or cross-sell. Also, you can scale support and drive retention and revenue. And you know what that means. Better service and happier customers at every stage of the journey. Visit HubSpot.com service to do more for your customers today. What essentially a two-by-two does is it forces you to say, hey, I have this problem I'm trying to solve in the world. And it's forcing you to pick the two most important variables to that process. Right. That's actually the first step. Hey, hey, welcome to another episode of Marketing Against the Grain, your podcast for all things growth, entrepreneurship, and things we love on the internet. As always, I am your co-host, Kip Bodner. I am joined today by the man who you might think is your marketing best bud, but he's really more interested in eating spuds. <laughs> I thought you were going to Because all he really wants is potatoes on his pizza. Kieran Flanagan, what is up, man? Yeah, this blew up yesterday, right? That- blew up. It's, I would say it's at least your highest engagement tweet of the last like month, probably. So I think people are underestimating how good mashed potato is in pizza, but people are thinking that you bake the mashed potato as a fill-in. Okay, so for everybody listening, Kieran had a tweet where he said he loves mashed potatoes on pizza and like Twitter revolted on him. It's still going, actually. He got called out hard. So look, here's what you do, right? You get your pizza, you get really great mashed potatoes with a little bit of almond milk and butter. Mm -hmm. That can be another thing that might disgust people, but I don't take dairy. Then you, every slice you get, you take a dollop of mashed potato and put it on the slice. You don't bake the pizza with the potato on it. You actually add the potato as you're eating it. It's a game changer, right? It's just one of the best things you can do. Look, this is this is my take. Any food in the world that is carb on carb is better. Samosas, right? pierogies, which are potato stuffed dumplings. Anytime you have more than one type of carb, the food is better. So I'm actually... Team Kieran on this. I didn't see this. You and I mostly disagree on all things food, but I am completely Team Kieran on this. But first of all, for everybody who responded to you, there are parts of Italy where potato pizza is a very, very specific thing where they cook potatoes and put thin slices of cooked potatoes on top of the pizza. Yes, that's what people are saying. So that is a very popular thing. I've had pizzas like that. That is delicious. But Kieran, Let me tell you about my favorite potato pizza uh, before we get into the show. Yeah, let's do it. I spend a lot of time in Vermont, and there's a pizza place in Vermont in the U.S. that for one week a year makes Thanksgiving pizza. (laughs) A full Thanksgiving dinner on pizza? And so what they do, they take a pizza crust, they put garlic mashed potatoes across that pizza crust. Oh, yes. Then they put roasted turkey and gravy and cheese 
all over it, and then they bake it, and then what comes out, you know what they do? They put a little cranberry drizzle all over the top. Oh, nice. And it is amazing. That is a very American pizza. I'm sorry if you think this is pizza sacrilege, but I am here for it. It's the best pizza ever. There you go. Yeah. Go eat pizza with carbs on it, especially pizza and potatoes. All right. So I am so excited to jump in and talk two by twos. But first, Kieran, I have a one topic detour because I found, I think, one of my best B2B Twitter account follows that I think there's this B2B company and organization that is doing amazing Twitter marketing that I know you don't know about and I'm, I really want to share it with you. Are you ready for this? Even the words B2B company doing good Twitter marketing is got me curious. The great thing is it is so B2B that you're not even going to know what this company does. Okay, this is my favorite kind of company. You ready? I'm going to give you the name of this organization, and your first job, without looking it up, is to tell me what they do. All right. Okay? Right. The name of this organization is the World Ballard Association. (laughs) Oh, my God. What's a ballard, Karen? What's a ballard? Some sort of opera? (laughs) (laughs) It's not an opera. (laughs) This is amazing. It's going exactly how I wanted to go. Well, I want to meet this person's branding agency who came up with this name. Well, it's B2B, so I'll just go data management. No, the World Ballard Association. I'm going to tell you what a ballard is. You know those like concrete pillars that stop you from like driving it into a building or a parking lot or anything? They're like the vertical concrete like barricade things. Oh, yeah. I got it. That's a ballard. That is a ballard. (laughs) And so... That is the most boring thing you could possibly ever imagine, right? So boring. So horribly boring. The World Ballard Association has almost 80,000 Twitter followers. What? For yes. concrete pillars? Their whole Twitter account is posting viral videos of things that happen with ballards. So like they've got like a dog jumping up and hurtling on them. They've got like women dancing on ballards. The, you, you have to follow the World Ballard Association on Twitter. I've got it. I'm getting it. We're staying on this topic until you look. It's hilarious. Like the content is really good. All right. So these people wing Twitter. They, like they're crushing Twitter. Look at this. There's one with a little <laughs> knitted uniform and a rubber duck on her head. Yes. <laughs> oh, oh, yes. This is my Saturday. This is my, t- there's a woman dancing to one. <laughs> yes. All it's right, amazing, I it. right? I love it. <laughs> well, first of all, are you following the account? Are you going to follow the account now? I am now following the World Ballad Association. I'm following them now too, because I think the content's amazing. We get tons of complaints around like, oh, I'm a B2B company. There's nothing fun or interesting I could do. Literally, this is one of the most boring examples of an organization or company that I could have found, and they are killing social. It is a boring subject, but there is a weirdly a lot of interesting things happen to Ballard's. Like there's one being washed away in a storm. There's cars crashing into them. There's a lot of interesting things that actually do happen to them. If you're the person running the World Ballard Twitter account, we would like to have you on for five minutes to talk to us about how you find these videos. That's the question. Like what is the research process for finding all of these random, amazing, hilarious videos about Ballard's? We are very interested in learning and you're welcome anytime to come on the pod. Kieran, let's go to our love language. Some people have gifts. Some people do acts of service. To show love and affection, we talk about and invent two by twos. Right. It's our way of showing love. It's not everybody's way, but let's convert everybody to our love language of two by twos. Tell the world first, why do you love two by twos so much? Uh, Because when I joined HubSpot, the only way to get people to do things is put them in a two by two. (laughs) 
That's that's actually true. I think what you learn as you scale and grow is that you have to become exceptional at describing complex things in, in simplistic ways to get people to align around those. Yeah. And two by twos are the best example of taking complex subjects and providing clear delineation between the options you have and showing how you have chosen like one of those options as being the right option. So I think it simplifies complex things, but it also actually helps you visualize the options and see why you're choosing one option over the other. There is probably like an MBA definition of a two by two that is much better because I know they're very much associated with like taking an MBA now you know how to do by twos. Who gives a about what the MBAs think of two by twos? We're, we're running the show. That's how I describe them. I think it's an art. There's an art form to being able to really construct a two by two that makes a very complex point. So simple that the entire people reading that memo and looking at your different options understand it. Yeah, and we're going to get into like how to do two-by-twos and what we think are some really good ones and everything. To open this up, I think you have a macro point. And I think occasionally on the show, we talk about what I call Halliganisms, things from Brian Halligan, our co-founder, who sticks in our head sometimes. One of his things are somebody's either a complexifier or a simplifier. Mm, I love that. That's awesome. Before you even get into two-by-twos, what you have to do is understand that as you grow and scale, things automatically become more complex on their own. Yeah, And so the only way to manage it is to have a team and have a group of people of simplifiers that are not complexifiers, right? Because we get so many questions about people, teams, hiring. If you are asking somebody to come in and solve a big, hairy problem for your organization, the vast majority of the time, they need to be a simplifier. And if you're talking, whether it be in a job interview or an initial strategy call, prep, anything... Having somebody explain their thoughts simply. And Kieran, I'm going to give you one of my favorite interview questions on this topic, right? Oh, okay. It's a one-two punch interview question. You ready for this? The first part of this question is, I ask somebody, I say, hey, let's imagine that you were in a room with 300 random humans, all walks of life, all ages, everything. What is the thing that you would be verifiably better at than those 300 people? And... It could be any aspect of your life. And I'll give you some examples of what people have told me. They'll say, hey, you know, I was actually, I was a concert pianist and I performed piano in front of large audiences. And so logic would say like, hey, if you performed in front of hundreds of people, you're probably better at piano than 300 random people in society. I've had people say, hey, you know, I actually am a really amazing break dancer. And, you know, I've made money doing break dancing and everything. And so that's great. And so... Step one of this question is, tell me this thing that you know intimately, that you are better at than anybody in this world. First of all, it tells you that this person has the mental fortitude to become great at something and learn something, which is really good and really awesome. And you know it's now something that they understand all the ins and outs of and the, the, the details of. And then the follow-up question is, great, can you teach me how to do it? Yes. Can you explain this thing that you know deeply and intimately well in a way that I, who've likely never even really thought about this thing in the world, could actually understand and maybe have a you know minuscule chance of doing someday? And it's like that one-two punch is pretty masterful when you're thinking about, is somebody a complexifier or a simplifier? Yeah, it shows you that they can build a framework and teach it, which is really important if you want to manage. Yes. Okay, so that's a little, I think, set up into the two-by-two topic that I thought was really important because you need to get rooted in like why two-by-twos even needed to exist. They exist for this notion of simplification and that there are some ways where you can tell if a specific person is good at simplifying and 
especially in marketing specifically, you need to be good at simplifying, simplifying messages, simplifying strategies, tactics, all of those things. So now, Kieran, how does somebody think about actually like making a two by two? Like what does that process look like and how does it happen? And like maybe give somebody, give our audience an example of a two by two that you use in your life and kind of like reverse engineer it for us a little bit. Let me start with the one of the most simplistic, but I think one of the more helpful. Please. In terms of how I think about two by twos, I think about the things that truly matter and then the opposite ends of the spectrum of those two things, right? Yes, I love this. So let's talk about distribution bets. What actually really matters about distribution bets? Well, what matters is the potential upside and the time to realize that upside. Mm -hmm. So you have a two by two, so like two opposite things, and you can have two by twos where you just have high and low. And so we have potential upside and you have great potential upside, very low potential upside. And then you have short amount of time to realize that value and then a high amount of time to realize that value. What you notice is in companies that are scaling, a lot of the potential upside actually comes from things in the short amount of time to value. Mm -hmm. As you scale, actually, that shifts from one end to the other. It shifts from high amount of upside and short time to value. And as you grow larger, it goes to high amount of upside to high time to value. And so you start to have to make bigger bets. And I think that is one way to categorize your bets because you want to know what is the meaningful amount of payback I can get from this and when can I realize that payback? And I think that's one of the two by twos you could use to categorize the investments you're making. Totally. I, I love that. And so for, for people who are listening, I'm going to anchor us in like when Kira and I think about a two by two, there's a couple of different ways. We think about it as a vertical axis and a horizontal axis drawn to intersect that looks like a plus sign. Right. And we're talking about labeling the four ends of those lines. And what essentially a two by two does is it forces you to say, hey, I have this problem I'm trying to solve in the world. And let's say for the point of this problem, it's let's talk about hiring. It's forcing you to pick the two most important variables to that process. Right. That's actually the first step is like, you have all this debate, there's lots of things that you could say that matter. What are the two things that actually matter? And so like, if we were saying hiring a great marketer, for example, well, there's lots of things. It's like, well, what is that person's skills? Where do they live? What are their background? Like you could have a list of 20 things, right? That come into play. But what you're saying is that the actual genius of this is forcing everybody that you work with to align around the most important things. And so like if I was building a two by two for hiring, I would say, oh, what are the things that are most important to me? The things that are most important to me about hiring somebody is potential. Are they high potential or low potential? Do they have the potential to learn and grow into that role? Or am I hiring them into a role that they're probably know how to do, but they're going to have a hard time doing anything beyond that? And so I would probably make that my vertical axis because that is something that I think is really important if you're in a high growth organization. And then I would say the other axis to me is probably, are they a specialist or are they a generalist? Yes. Are they somebody who can do a wide range of things versus a specific set of things deeply and well? And so let's talk about how you would do this and use this in practice. So let's say the vertical axis is low potential at the bottom, high potential at the top. And the horizontal axis is on the left, you've got very specific skills. And on the right, you have very generalist skills. So if you're high potential generalist in that upper right box, wow, those are really valuable people to have because they can learn really quickly and they can do a lot of different things. And they're very ambidextrous, which allows them to serve different roles on your team long-term. That being said, you also need high potential specialists 
to fit your most important roles. And so I would actually go and use this two by two in practice. Let's say that I had four jobs I was hiring for over the next year. I would plot those four jobs on that grid. I would say, oh, I'm hiring a head of email automation. Well, actually, email is a big, important part of my strategy. So I need somebody with potential to keep learning and getting better at email. But it's also this very specific skill. So I'm going to plot that in the specific skill, high potential quadrant. And then then at the same time, I might say, hey, I have a program manager or I have a more generalist role and I want to hire a very versatile person. So I'm going to plot that role in the upper right-hand quadrant, which is generalized skill set high potential. And that is how you would then actually operationalize and use that. Agree or disagree with me, Karen? That's exactly it. It just forces you into having to make decisions around the things that matters. Actually, that's another interesting example of where the ratio changes over time as you grow. Like early stage companies have high potential generalists and over time shift a lot of that into high potential specialists. But again, I think that is the beauty of a two by two is it forces you to simplify things down into the most important parts and then shows you the opposite end of the spectrum of those things and then forces you into look at like what is the quadrant that matters most to us and you know do we want to hire high performance specialist high performance generalist like whatever they may be we have used that relentlessly to be able to build our strategy and even our team over time all right so i think we've got three two by twos that we use all the time that change our life The first one is international, Kieran. Drop a little international two by two on us. So one of the things you need is some sort of mental model or framework to know how to grow internationally because once you go into more than one languages, team design becomes much, much more complex. And so we have grown into multiple languages and we wanted to know how to structure our marketing team to be very cohesive as we went into those languages. And we never knew, like, should you have the entire marketing team replicated in each language or a smaller version of it? Should you have a subset of the marketing team in each of those languages? Like, how should you build marketing across languages? And one of the two by twos actually built by Susie, who's our awesome VP of international marketing built was, so on the vertical axis, on the right-hand side, you have domain expertise. On the left-hand side, you have regional expertise. And then on the axis at the top, you have native language. And on the bottom of that, you have localized language. So let me tell you why we did that. We feel the way to grow internationally, all of your different programs, all of the things you do, is to understand where domain expertise are the most important thing, where regional expertise are the most important thing, where native language is the most important thing, and where you can localize. So let me give you a practical example. We centralize all of the marketers, regardless of language, for certain disciplines into one team. So search, paid, why do we do that? Because we believe you need to have deep domain knowledge to be an expert within those things. Mm -hmm. And if you have that deep domain knowledge, you can do that across languages with the help of teams who help you do the localization. And so we have central paid teams that can be best in class teams for paid across all of our different languages. The opposite example of that is our blog team, right? Yes. Our blog team, we replicate in each language. We have a regional team for each language who do our blog. And why do we do that? Well, in that case, your regional expertise outweighs domain expertise because you need to be able to write within that language and write for that audience. So you need the both, you know, the regional expertise and you need to be a native language speakers. So again, that two by two forces us to decide what are the most important things? Does that person need to have domain expertise? like deep domain expertise of the thing that we want to be truly great at in those languages? Do they need to have regional expertise? 
They need to really understand the market, be in the market, be in that language. Do they need to be native speakers that they can actually write in that language, they talk that language, or can you do it through the localization model? And that's one of the ones that we have used to structure our entire marketing team and the way we go to market in different languages. I would say that is easily one of the most used two by twos in HubSpot marketing history. Yes. Shared, dropped for free from Kieran. Congrats to Susie. Excellent work, my friend. We promised people three really, really good ones. I think that's a really, really good one. That's very like operational, like minutia. I think I want to zoom out a little bit on the go-to-market side of things. And when you are a marketing sales leader, an entrepreneur, a CEO, and you're thinking about how to evolve your go-to-market, I think sometimes people jump to the like, hey, this is how everybody does it or how I know and how I've done it in the past versus like taking time to like use a heuristic like a two by two to to think about how you go to market. And so I want to pose to everybody the go to market strategy two by two, which I think is something that I use very, very often around whether it's advising companies or just in our day-to-day decisions at HubSpot. And what you have here is a vertical axis that is price. At the top, it's I sell a high-priced good or service. And at the bottom, I sell a low-priced good or service. Then you have a horizontal axis across that talks about the motion used to sell that product or service. And so we have product-led growth on the left and sales-led growth on the right. And why this is really helpful is because you basically want to avoid anything that is low price and sales-led because your unit economics, your profitability of those customers is going to be much harder to achieve. Whereas if you're in that low price side of things, you really only want to exist in the bottom left quadrant, which is low price product-led, and the top right quadrant, which is high price sales-led. Right, exactly. And by the way, if you could get high price product-led, great go nuts and like you have an amazing, amazing business that is like aspirational. And then on the bottom right, which is sales led low price, you want to stay out of there. And so what's really interesting is you can kind of plot your business across those four quadrants in a really interesting way and know that you have the right blend of motion and pricing and packaging to help you actually scale and build an effective company long term. Yeah. And I think the two quadrants you want to be out of is the low touch sales led. That's the death zone. Low price sales led. Get out of there. Stay away. Yeah. It's like dead business. And then it's really hard to do the product led high sales price. What you described is the perfect product led business, which is what most product led businesses do, which is they start off with a low touch product led go to market motion and then they go up market. So they layer on a sales team Mm -hmm. to do like sales led higher price products. And if you can pull that off, wow, you, you look like an incredible business. Some of the biggest, most successful SaaS companies have built through that model. But I think the cool thing about that two by two is it shows you, you know, what quadrant are we in, what quadrant we want to build in, and what quadrants do we want to stay out of. Mm-hmm. And if you're in those quadrants, like you're in the death zone and you're probably going to die a tragic death as a business. <laughs> <laughs> I see like a little cartoon character falling into a cliff when you envision that. So Kieran, we have so many two by twos we love. I think we need to give people one more. So I was trying to explain to someone, if you're leading a team, let's say a marketing team, if you're leading the marketing team, the different phases you have to go through or the different leaps you have to make as a marketer, as a team reaches certain sizes. As you scale, the way that your decision-making process has to scale in some way. And that's 
I say like when you're in the one to 30 zone, you make all the decisions, right? Yep. Generally, you as a leader, your skill set is being able to be the source of truth for all decisions. And because of that, you actually know everything that's going on, right? So you're not too concerned yeah. about like the structure, the team design, you're making all the decisions, you know what's going on. And so you're the source of truth. As you get into like 30, maybe let's say 30 to 60, 30 to 70, I was using hypothetical numbers, your direct reports start making all the decisions, right? And although that's like loose, you would still have some decision-making process, but like your job becomes, how do I get my team to be able to make the decisions, right? How do I actually set guardrails yep. and have the team make decisions? And that gets hard then because there's like more cross-team alignment needed. You have to get much better at trusting your team to make really good decisions. Mm -hmm. And there starts to become friction between teams where there's not alignment between goals and people are trying to yep. make decisions yep. for their goals versus another goal. And then you have like the 70 to let's say 150, 200, where your direct reports, teams make the decisions. That's where people start to lose their mind yep. when you haven't managed a team <laughs> of like plus 70. Like none of this is actually making sense anymore. There's decisions everywhere. There's not alignment anywhere. Yeah, it's hard. Everyone is like, everything's on fire people are screaming and shouting at each other and so i was trying to like explain the process of like up leveling as the leader through how decisions get made across your team how would you describe that i'm like coming to you i'm saying i have a team of like 80 people now yeah I, i've been here since there was a team of 10 yeah how should i think about the jumps i'm making as a leader here what we're talking about is like scaling leadership and making leadership work and what i will tell everybody is that dunbar's number is a real thing so dunbar's number is like you can have up to 130 people in like a network where you can like really know and interact deeply with with them and then mm. once that breaks yep. you completely lose track of it all and once you double dunbar's number and you get to about 260 people a leadership really changes dramatically and after doubling Dunbar's number, the, the sensitivity really goes down from leading a team of 260 people to leading a team of 360 people. It's not that different. It's different, but it's not orders of magnitude different like it is going from 10 people to 100 and then 100 to 260, for example. But what Kieran's posing to all of us is like, what's a mental model? What's a two by two heuristic that we can use? If I'm a founder, if I'm a CEO, if I'm a, a CRO and I'm trying to help my leader Get the challenges of scale. I have a suggestion as well that I can go through. I don't know your suggestion. So I'm going to come up with a suggestion. You do your suggestion yeah. and we'll debate them. Let's do that. Does that sound good? Yeah. So what you have to essentially say at this point is as you scale, a leader's core job is the gaps, what falls and drops in between teams and the new priorities. So if I was doing this two by two, I would say one of the most important things is like, resourcing, whether you want to call it resourcing, capital allocation, however you want to think about it. I would have my horizontal axis be, I could do it with money I have, money and people I have, or I need more money and people to do this thing, right? That would be one axis. And then the second part of this is the goals and business impact clear or unclear. Yep. And so let's play this out. How would this work? So if I'm leading a team and let's say it's my email marketing team, Wow, the goals are largely clear. We know what, how email marketing is contributing to our demand generation, our QLs, all of that fun stuff. And we've set a budget and headcount plan and everything for the year. And wow, they kind of have what they need, right? And so as a leader, I'm going to put them in that quadrant. And that quadrant means I want to have regular engagement and check in with them. But I'm going to assume that on a day-to-day -day basis, we're largely aligned. You know, there's always going to be problems and things that happen. But because they don't necessarily need me to come in and fix those like higher order macro problems for them. Where the flip side of that is, if you've got 
something on the exact opposite side, which is like some new program that you're spinning up. So let's say brand marketing, for example. Hey, we're trying to get better at brand marketing. The business impact and everything is kind of foggy because we're not sure what metrics to use. We're not sure how that correlates to the core business growth and how we want to like report on this to the board. There's a lot of ambiguity. And because of that, like the amount of money we need is kind of uncertain. It's kind of variable. Then I want to come in there. That is where as a scaling leader, that's where you need to spend your time and bring clarity. Come in, help clarify the goals, help understand how we're going to think about funding over the short term and the long term so that you can then move that team back over into a team that looks more like email marketing in the business results are clear and the no additional investment above what is planned is needed kind of quadrant. That's my take, Kieran. Yeah. Go with yours. Yeah, I think that's good. Uh, And so I just came up with this as we were talking, so I didn't really prepare it, but it's not too dissimilar, actually. (laughs) So it seems fair. Yeah, I know. Yeah, so it's fair. It's fair. I didn't get to qualify that (laughs) mine might suck. Come on. Okay, so the way I was thinking about this, kind of similar to how I described it, which is on the horizontal axis, you have high impact and low impact. And then on the vertical axis, you have centralized decisions and decentralized decisions. And centralized decision is like you, the marketing leader, are the person signing off on it. Decentralized is it happens in the teams. And then if it's a high impact thing, if it's a thing that like is a really high impact thing to your success and goals, it's a central decision. If it's like a low impact thing, you should be able to decide in yourself. Mm-hmm. And so it tries to make things run quicker by making all of the low impact things, the things, decisions that just need to be made decentralized within the teams yeah. and everything that is like pivotal to things being successful, centralized with you and your direct reports. I love that. The thing we're trying to say is you have to scale through others and you have to spend your time differently with different folks on your team, depending on where their work is in its maturity cycle. And I think we've each presented two by twos that may potentially work for you there. There's others that we could come up with. Part of it is like, there's no perfect answer here. Part of it's getting aligned around what matters and then using that as a way to kind of evaluate and think about what you're doing. So yes, for everybody listening, again, two by two, vertical axis, horizontal axis, you are picking the two things that matter most to solving that issue. And then you're taking the two opposite ends of the spectrum of those two issues and plotting them on that graph and then aligning your strategy and how you work to that. And if you've got a two by two that you love, leave it for us in the review on Apple Podcasts. We love two by twos. We will give your two by two a shout out on an upcoming show. If you leave it in Apple Podcasts, Kieran, until next time, man, I'm glad we got to talk about one of our favorite topics and I can't wait to talk again soon. 